0: James Madison, standing before the General Assembly of the Commonwealth of Virginia, said, "...whilst we assert ourselves a freedom to embrace, to profess, and to observe the religion which we believe to be of divine origin, we cannot deny an equal freedom to those whose minds have not yet yielded to the evidence which has convinced us. If this freedom is abused, it is an offense against God, not against man." I've asked Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, to join us today to talk about how the concept of religious liberty needs to be nurtured, not abused. Lincoln, the time is yours.
1: Yeah, man, that can take me so many directions, and, <laughs> and maybe I'll get on one of my hobby horses Uh-oh. instead. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, we have a great heritage in, in the West generally, and in, in the United States in particular. These principles of civil and religious freedom are, are seminal i mean they, they just bubble up from within our corporate thinking and, and most people that think about it know the, how important they are yes. sometimes it gets sort of mixed up in a crazy sort of way though i mean we're past the what i think was the the fog of the bush administration and the, and the panic that followed from nine eleven, but as you remember in part of the the militaristic follow-on to that there was this naive view that we were, we're projecting american values hmm which uh whether it's America or England or whoever was so inclined in the past, the idea that you can spread your value by the point of the sword, I think is a fallacy. It's a tragic fallacy yeah. maybe in some happy stance afterwards, as we have done in Iraq, by mm. blowing up the whole house, you know the, the new builders that come in may have fresh ideas, <laughs> but I don't think blowing up the house is very good and and it's troubled me uh, a lot in these years after where we've sort of got used to perpetual war. Iraq is theoretically wound down, but as I remember, there's still something like forty, fifty thousand 50,000 soldiers there. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's more terminology than real absence of military uh, activity. And, and, of course, Afghanistan continues. But more than that, many people don't understand the reach of our military uh, vision. There are 1,000 U.S. bases around the world. <laughs>
0: I have to say, Lincoln, the leaders, the military leaders are saying, you know, we're not there to be aggressors. We're there to protect ourselves. If we're not there, we're going to be surrounded and overwhelmed by these people. So we're there to protect ourselves.
1: I'm not trying to push pacifism per se. I mean, pacifism has a very biblical uh, basis, but, you know, that's not the thing. They're they're legitimate self-interest. But I think just it doesn't hurt because it's seldom done. To sort of sit up, take stock, and and think, you know we say that we're for freedom and self-determination and and in religious freedom. Uh, the conscience is sovereign, people can choose as they want. but we've sort of got our heavy hand all around the world. This I mean there's true. no way with with a thousand military bases that that we're as disinterested as we say. <laughs> there's not a, not a thousand countries. Uh, There's been no country that's uh, ever had such a a global presence. Rome, of course, was smaller, but very aggressive in its day and and, and violent and so on. I don't think we're in that league per se, but we're in danger of following that model Mm. where the legions were marching out and subduing and... What area do we still have to conquer? How can yeah. we subdue the Middle East and all the rest of it?
0: In other words, if we have the capability, we're probably going to use it, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And there's something that's going on now
1: that I think does have a little application to, if not freedom of religion, then freedom of thought and security of individual action. It's one thing to have a thousand bases. But what I read in foreign press more, and even you can get it in our press if you look for it, is that we more and more are depending on machines. Mm-hmm. And one of the machines that we're using gratuitously, and, and I've read many articles that that say this is the wave of the future, it will just get much more so, is these unmanned drones. Mm-hmm. And they have done something that had never been accomplished in the past. I'll step back a little and say something. I take afternoon meetings for church groups usually mm-hmm. on weekends a lot and uh, Seventh-day Adventists have an end-time viewpoint, as do many other Bible-believing Christians. Mm-hmm. You can't ignore Revelation. I mean, That's <laughs> true. It, it's it talks about the, the wrap-up of history. Mm-hmm. And we think that we're somewhat in that end time. We don't really know when the very final things will happen before Christ's kingdom. We don't know that. The dates are not clear. But I tell them, I said, one thing I can assure you that the world that you know is about to pass away In many fronts in history, we're at a pivotal point. And this this introduction of unmanned drones that rain terror down on the skies anonymously, because they're not visible, they float so high and quietly, it's a clear sky for most people. Mm. This has changed warfare already, and it will do more so quickly Mm. than anything that's happened in the last, uh, I would say, the last thousand years. Mm. And I can include the atomic bomb on that. Because uh, now what it means is that the, the United States, which is the preeminent power using them now, that and, and, we're naive to think that we're going to have the exclusive luxury for much longer. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're not exclusive now, but we're, we're dominant. Yeah. Israel and, and uh, to pluck one out of thin air, as well as England and other countries, they have drone uh, fleets. But the U.S. is doing it on a massive scale over not just war areas, but over most countries of interest to them. Mm. I think we we touched on it in an earlier program, but I'll repeat it. That as recently as this year, the uh, Defense Authorization Act, which is a routine thing overall, but it it stated in there that the war on terror, which just is another way of saying military operation, ongoing military operations, yes. now includes the entire globe, including the United States. So they broadened it; it's everywhere. <laughs> and and then they said things like. Uh, Even U.S. citizens can be detained and and targeted in that war on terror. Well, I listened to an expert, a law professor and and a recognized uh, expert, I'm sure not unchallenged, but an expert on on these things who spoke on C-SPAN, and he said something that at the time I found far-fetched. He said that he expected to see the drones used even over the United States against U.S. citizens shortly. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, when he said that, there was no evidence for it other than, than extrapolating from this uh, statement. Uh, since then, we found that, that flight plans have been lodged with the FAA because the, there's a practical consideration. You don't want airliners hitting them. Right. We already had local police forces negotiating with these arms suppliers for drones that are equipped with grenade launchers and other crowd control uh, weaponry. Mm-hmm. And perhaps we will see them targeting so-called terror, well, not so-called, I mean, presumed uh, terrorist training camps and so on. You know, there's some militia camps and all the rest that are not so good, because there's also some training camps by uh, private contractors that are like private armies. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So it's a mixed bag that we're we're dealing with. But I don't know about other people, but I'm very uncomfortable with the idea that an invisible eye in the sky floating around trained on me and then suddenly, on on the the, the word of a few uh, planners, usually CAA or uh, White House director, but not through the full legal system, might decide you're a threat, might decide you're expendable, and you're just gone. Mm. You wouldn't know it, of course. So there's no much pain and concern. But what does that do for for the whole principle that undergirded the American experiment, where you have you're a sovereign mm. person in yourself for your choices, you know what you say and what you do unless you, you're acting illegally, and then you give an answer to it, but you're free.
0: There's a due process here that we need to be thinking about,
1: too. What, what this does away with is the sense of security oh, yes. with one's own actions. Yes. And the way of illustrating that, I'll, I'll, I'll refer to something I read the other day that was quite shocking to me. In Harper's Magazine, uh, which is an interesting uh, magazine with literary pretensions, it's had mm. some of the literary greats through the years, uh, in the United States, have been published there, but it also reprints transcripts from different events around the world, mm-hmm. and they had there some interviews with people in Pakistan and Afghanistan who uh, had had relatives uh, obliterated by uh, by predator strikes. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm sure the, the U.S. military would say in those cases it was either mistaken identity or else. Their relatives maybe were up to no good, mm-hmm. but what was very telling to me was this is from the human perspective. This young boy said that his dad went along with the other village elders to discuss some of the issues on crops and so on in the village. They had a lawyer Jager, I think it was called, or, or, a uh, just a you know a town meeting, mm-hmm. and he says and the. Uh, and the predator killed them. And we heard, he says, that was it 100 or 300? But anyhow, a huge number of people have been killed in this little village. Mm. And he says, we went there and there were pieces everywhere. Mm. And we had to pick up our relatives in pieces. We just identified as many pieces as we could. We took them home in a plastic bag. Oh, well, that's shocking. And, and he says the smell was phenomenal. People don't think about this. It's, you know, surgical strikes. Yeah. I remember uh, uh, Secretary Rumsfeld getting quite uh, excited early on in the war in Iraq he says you know the he says all the targeting is so precise he says it's fantastic how accurate these are well even if they're accurate people die and we shouldn't be quite so pleased about it and and they don't die cleanly it's messy but what what I'm really building to was a number of these testimonies said that now the people are afraid to meet together that even family groups will not sleep together because they believe they're being watched all the time, and so they don't even communicate as family groups. They're just living in daily terror of what will rain on them from the skies. Mm-hmm. And meetings, you know, as the United States is not particularly sensitive to that, but through the ages, all uh, regimes are, and particularly when there was religious persecution, as the Albeginzis and the, the other dissidents in the Reformation era, It was when they gathered together that the authorities suddenly looked on them. Why are you all meeting? And send the army against them. And and so I really think we've got an incipient potential for persecution for any number of reasons. Political, activism, off-base religious activity, Mm -hmm. and perhaps even a a, violent reaction to the state. Obviously, a person of faith wouldn't be part of that. But how will the state know? They're just watching you. So I think it will have a hugely... uh, restrictive effect on the way people think about life in general not just about the state and we're entering into this this hell's playground in my view it's going to be a very gothic existence if we're not careful when we allow this technology to run freely not just in the skies of afghanistan which is not great but here over the u.s over other countries not good
0: well, you know, Lincoln. As we were growing up in our generation, you have probably witnessed this. They would have a, a skit or a play about uh, a policeman bursting into the auditorium when the preacher's up there preaching, and and the policeman comes running down the aisle with his gun drawn. He says, "You're preaching against the government. You're preaching against the the law of the land. Absolutely. You're preaching the seventh day Sabbath, and so you're under arrest." that image in my mind has now changed listening to you. Instead, you're sitting in the church and suddenly you are no more because there was someone flying a drone at 30,000 feet above your head, and someone piloting that, and someone talking to the pilot saying, Those people down there are not doing what the government says, or not go- doing what we absolutely. have decided as a country, and pull the trigger, aim and pull the trigger, and they're going to be gone. That's the new reality we're looking at then. Well, not the reality, but the possibility. possibility, the, new possibility. the new possibility we're looking no, at. I mean, we,
1: you and I, would be the be to our listeners, we're not there yet, but we're allowing a tentacle of possibility to creep over mm. us that will fully enable this and and someone needs to start shouting enough that this is not proper the last few days I've spoken to people about the Davidian standoff at Mount Carmel yes. it was not Seventh-day Adventists but we're, we're careful uh, about any religious group being, being victimised and they were sure an offbeat religious group socially they had connections to Adventists uh, you know they'd taken an original Adventist doctrinal viewpoint and skewed it in horrible ways. It certainly did. But many of them were the children of Adventists. Mm. But you remember that standoff? It became a pure military standoff. Yeah. Tanks were brought in from a nearby base. Yeah. British Secret Service agents were hovering overhead in a helicopter observing it. It was a training mission for how to deal with subversives, mm. and and they 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 sent the thing up in smoke. They shot members who tried to come in few people know that. There were several people who were in town when it started and they tried to climb the fence to join their fellows and they were shot and killed trying to enter mm. as well as uh, a number of people killed trying to escape. In the end, they, they uh, took a few out and, and the judge, as I think I've said on this program before, the judge in, con- in convicting them said of their fellows that burning was too good for them. Oh, so, you know, it was, a, it was a, almost a medieval play out of, of that but what would happen today? I, I almost guarantee you that, that there would be hellfire missiles that would be dealing with them. They wouldn't bring the tanks in. It would be something anonymous from the sky. Yeah, we are in a different thing. And what we need to be aware of, a lot of people think, as you just said, that, that you know they would, they would be watching very closely whether you have this particular idea or, or versus your neighbour who may or may not, that you would be brought to account for it, you might be arrested and so on. That could happen. But I think in a major confrontation, it's more like what we've already seen in in Russia and uh, Cambodia, where whole categories of people mm-hmm. are seen as suspicious mm-hmm. and are dealt with summarily. Mm-hmm. That was Stalin's view. He, he didn't want to have to make the fine determination of who was really a problem, who was not. You decide that this category of the population is a bit risky. Get rid of the whole category no. No. Uh, in Cambodia, people that thought independently were a danger. So you get rid of all people who may be educated. Remember, just to wear glasses was enough to have you killed because right. that presumed you knew how to read. What I just explained in Afghanistan, there's clearly an assumption anytime there's a gathering of people, they're up to no good. Yeah. yeah. So if, if, if we were told that Sunday is the day to worship on and you know everyone's expected in the churches on that day, and on Saturday <laughs> the drone spot people uh, meeting elsewhere, they might make an immediate assumption, first of all, that this is non-acceptable religious activity, that it's seditious aimed at the state. I mean, I'm speaking sort of paranoid here, but but the dynamic is not impossible.
0: We're talking with Lincoln Steed today, editor of Liberty Magazine. Our show is about well some possibilities that uh, we need to look at, and listener, if you think we're trying to scare you, you're right we're trying yes. to, we're, <laughs> we're trying to say that you know we need to watch we need to guard this stuff because the the price for not guarding it is pretty hefty. wouldn't you say Lincoln Well
1: yeah yeah, I mean, this is paranoid I mean I don't believe it's paranoid, but I mean, it sounds sort of paranoid, yeah. because it's not based on what's happening now, yeah. But in reality, this is not fantastic. And it's what's happened
0: in other countries. It's very real in other countries. It's based totally on what's already
1: happening, happened in other countries. And on my comment in Afghanistan and so on and other countries where we are using the drones, it's what we are doing now. I thought I gave a reasonable explanation is that there's a conscious effort to broaden it to here. So it's an extrapolation that's not illogical, even though it's frightening. Uh, It's not inevitable, though if we have a a sensibility against it and and people raise their voices no it won't happen here Mm -hmm. i do believe in bible prophecy but i've told people before i said for example revelation 13 by uh, many people's interpretation speaks to the united states which is a lamb-like power Mm -hmm. that benignly protects freedom but at some point becomes Mm dragon-like more aggressive and requiring a certain religious behavior Mm -hmm. well you know that is what it is but i've told people i said if you see some evidence say that the United States is heading toward that, we should speak out and stop it. Because even though it's it's said that it will happen one day, it doesn't have to happen now. That's right. That's right. You know, we, th- th- there's always hope. And, and you remember even Nineveh that, that God said was mm-hmm. dedicated to destruction. Mm-hmm. He told Jonah there, go tell them, 40 days it's going to be destroyed. It wasn't destroyed because the people reacted. They repented in sackcloth and they asked for God's mercy. And he showed it. Some things on the end of time, it's because of foreknowledge, they will happen. Mm-hmm. But it's not determinism. Mm-hmm. And and, and we, we do control our destiny. And I think the United States particularly, that has stood out in such a special way for religious freedom, mm-hmm. made mm-hmm. such a high claim of defending it, that, that it's very important that we hold it to that account, that we put it into practice and, and, and fight vigorously against any decline of that, that claim, even as it might fulfill prophecy, because it doesn't have to happen now.
0: All right. Well, that brings us to what I want to uh, cover in the last uh, eight minutes of our program. You say the people reacted in Nineveh. How do we do that, Lincoln? How do we react? What do we do? Give us some practical tips here.
1: Well, it can be practical, but there's no prescription that can be imposed on other people. Uh-huh. I'll give an example that comes to mind from my father. He, he headed the temperance department of the Seventh-day Adventist Church for many years. Yes. And and one of our positions was against uh, tobacco. And he uh, led out in, in many educational programs on tobacco uh, illnesses and risks and all the rest, ran five-day plans to stop smoking. But he said many times that the answer was not forcing legislative action on the national level, which they did. Remember, in the end, they fined the tobacco companies. But that's not what stopped people from smoking. It was an educational process where we communicated to a critical mass of people Mm. where they took it to heart that, no, they were not going to smoke. It was not good for them. And the tipping point came when most people thought that it was foolish, uh, unhealthy, antisocial to be smoking. And from that point on, clearly, I, I think we're at this point in the, in the United States where it's not really a great thing to smoke in society. Right, you show sure, right. you're sort of a, a, an underclass, mm-hmm. stubborn sort of person who's really forced out the back of the business to smoke there near the, near the dump. You know, yes, I yes. see it all the time. Oh, yes. And so the same with what we're talking about here. We can't force legislators to, to do something that'll save us all from ourselves. We have to change our attitude. Mm. Uh, I used to meet with the religious uh, liberty people from many churches, in fact I still do, and many times I've heard them pray, a, a wonderful prayer, but a prayer that you need to be careful of. They would pray that God would heal this nation. Mm. He does need to heal the nation, but we need to beware of sort of corporate, especially government-led uh, uh, moral regeneration. <laughs>
0: mm, yes.
1: yes. Uh, you know, that that's actually goes straight to persecution. Mm. But if throughout the country, as there was in the Great Awakening, there was a Great Awakening just before the American uh, Civil War, and then there was another religious revival in the mid-1800s where, where through a long train of process, a large proportion of the country were forced back to biblical basics, studied the Bible for themselves again, re-examined themselves spiritually, and, and were, were greatly refreshed. And that refreshing spread through society and gave it an incredible dynamism we need that again i believe Uh, something to counter what the religious right are always moaning on about the the undeniable secularity of a country that because we're, we're moving into the technological era and 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 the cold war and other things have made them cynical i mean that is what it is but the counter to it is not to argue it down it's for people to become spiritually energized and to move the critical mass of the country back to that sort of a of a characteristic and not just give it up as we we in essence have before.
0: And that spiritual energizing you're talking about can be as simple as standing up and saying, hey, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. The government should not do that. That is wrong. Oh, you are not going to work on Saturday? Well, look at that. The company has to make some adjustments here. We're going to make some laws for this. I think that the greatest element that we can bring to this fight is our involvement in it, is our words, is our opinion, what we post on Facebook, what we say on our blog, what we say when we stand up at meetings in our local governments, what we say when we stand before the school board, what we say in church. If someone hears us defending the religious freedom of others, that movement is carried forward. Am I on the right track here? Absolutely. On a lot of what we do with
1: religious liberty, we're defending people in the workplace. And it troubles me at times that the argument devolves to a legal one. Yeah. I mean, it's not that we can't use the laws, but the argument should be, it's not right for me to do this. My yes. conscience is moved yes. by this. Yeah. And yes, more people need to stand up. You know, it a little before my era, but I've read plenty about the McCarthy era where there were reds under every bed. Yes. Yes. There were a few more than people realized, but they were of little harm to the U.S., but you know they—they they nearly brought down the whole social structure in in the red baiting scare. Uh, but it ended. You know when it ended, someone said, "Have you no shame?" Have you no shame. That's right. <laughs> shame, that. shame. Uh, it's time that we said. You know, even on this gay marriage thing, it's not going to be the the total answer. But an awful lot of religious people are are, are reduced to religious invective and then are trying all sorts of legal things. Why don't they just say this is shameful yeah. for our society? Yeah. Uh, rather than picking on the people, but feeling a sense of corporate dislocation. This this goes against my spiritual sensibility. I feel tainted by it. We need to act better.
0: And we seem to believe that our voice is not one that will be heard. And you and I have talked about this before, that a letter to a congressman or to a senator, a letter sent to a representative gets read by someone, and it is, inclu- it is included in the dialogue and in the opinion of the people to whom it was sent. It's pretty amazing what one voice can do. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, that's a very good point you bring up.
1: If, you, if Listeners, if you have a burden on anything to do with religious liberty and moral issues and so on, write to your senator, write to your congressman. Charles is right. There are staffers that that's their job. They're not in the business of ignoring that. No. I mean, it may not change their mind. I mean, I can't guarantee you that, but it will be read. It will be processed. And it's surprising often how few of those letters uh, of input to the legislator it takes to really change things. Because most people don't write. Most people don't call.
0: And I hear you also saying that we need to be very vocal in our groups. When you post something on Facebook, there's a lot of Facebookers out there, I'm sure, Put your thoughts up there. Put it there. Even though I read, even when I read something that I don't agree with, I am recognizing that that thought exists, that uh, there are people who believe a certain way that are different from mine, and I want to make sure that they have the right to say that. So I'm saying, let's be vocal. Let's, with love, with kindness, as Christ did, let's say what's on our mind. Let's stand up. Let's move our head above the herd here and say, I think this is wrong or I think this is right. I think our government, our people, our church, our neighbors, our family should just really say what's on their heart and stand up for what they know to be right. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm on a soapbox today, Lincoln. Almost, what do you think about almost,
1: that? Yeah, you've almost persuaded <laughs> me to, to open a Facebook account.
0: <laughs> very, very good. Well, it gives us an opportunity, and I just invite you, listener, to, uh, to say what's on your heart. Pray about it. Let God know that you are heading out there to do these things. You listen to this program. You listen to what Lincoln Seed says on a regular basis. You read Liberty Magazine, and if you don't, there's a website. We'll be talking about that just momentarily that you can get it. But just stand for what you know to be right. Lincoln, any last words for us today? The last word, really, though, is,
1: is stand by your principles. Mm. And, and and I re- repeat what I've said in, in conferences before. There's way too much religion in the world yes. today, <laughs> not enough spirituality. Amen. And I believe that that will make the difference. We need to project not sanctimonious spirituality, but re- project... A life position that's based on our inner spiritual values, not just a talking point or a political sensitivity. You know, we're against abortion because this, you know, we're for this party because it's against abortion. Those are uh, very uh, rote and and sometimes counterproductive ways to advance the spiritual agenda. But we need to change our lives by spiritual connection to the divine and then act on it in a comprehensive, principled way.
0: Mm. Thank you so much, Lincoln Steed. always love talking with you. You inspire me. Thank you very much for the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you. And listener, again, the website, libertymagazine.org. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.LibertyMagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.